0: thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from pleasant hill baptist church in somerset kentucky please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com we will be in the book of psalms this morning and we will finish our series uh, playlist psalms about seeking god we're going to be in psalm 139 today i've entitled this message understanding the truth about God and ourselves. And let me just say this. It's very important that as we go through life, at some point we come to a knowledge of the truth about God and ourselves. Um, I thought this was interesting. About five years ago, a Pew Research Center survey of more than 4,700 adults in America finds that one-third of Americans say they do not believe in the God of the Bible, okay? Uh, That's the qualifier. They don't believe in the God of the Bible. They believe there's some higher power or spiritual force in the universe, but they don't believe uh, in God as He has revealed Himself through the Scriptures. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, during uh, my college years, one summer I volunteered as a Staff counselor at a kids slash youth camp in Virginia. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, it was a family-owned and operated. It had been in the family for a few decades, and they did a wonderful job uh, of uh, conducting the camp and training the staff a week before the camp started. And uh, here I am in a cabin with about eight boys all summer long. Uh, Every couple weeks, the age group got a little bit older. But first couple weeks of camp, here I am with these uh, young boys, and one of them is about 10 years old. And we would have devotions in the cabin uh, before bedtime at night. And it just created a great opportunity to kind of share something with them and kind of ask questions and find out, you know, where they were. And I remember this one kid, you could tell he had come from a, a rough home and he had this look about him and he. He just shut things down one night when he says, you know, I really don't want to talk about God anymore. He says, my daddy says, he went there, right? My daddy says that God's not perfect. And it kind of just flabbergasted me. You know, I'm like, wow, here is a a little boy that's not quite 10 years old and he's already got in his head that God is not perfect. And my daddy said so. What in the world am I going to say? What in the world am I going to do? And, uh, you know, I'm a college student. I'm still learning my Bible. And so I'm praying in in my heart and in my mind. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to argue with this kid. I just want to say what you want me to say and trust that, you know, the seed will be planted and you'll do something with it someday somehow. And so I'm I'm praying. I'm like, God, what do I say? I don't want this kid to, to leave camp this week going, God's not perfect. You know, and so I'm praying, and the Lord just nudges me. won't you read this uh, this one last verse, and just wrap it up. And I said, "Okay, let's get back to this." I said, "I got one more verse. Let's read that and pray. We're going to call it good. Uh, uh, good night." And so I turned to Matthew five. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about you know, all of us aren't perfect, right? I mean, a perfect person would love everybody. Regardless, and it says here, Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I said, God really is perfect because some people love Him and some people hate Him, but He lets the sun shine on everybody. He lets the rain come on the righteous and the unrighteous. And He loves everybody, the lovable and the unlovable, God really is perfect, prayed and just said, okay, Lord, please, please do something. I don't know what happened to that. I'll find out someday, I guess, when I get to heaven. Uh, but sometimes you just got to ask the Lord to give you the words and trust Him with the outcome. But it, it raises the issue of how do you talk to people about God, okay? Particularly, how do you talk to people about God when they have no point of reference, when they don't know the Bible, they've never read the Bible, they've never been in church, all they know is what daddy says or mama says or somebody else says, or what they think in their mind God might be like. How do you describe God to other people? And to be more specific than that, specifically, how do you, how do you describe the God of the Bible to people? as far as the way God has revealed Himself through the Scriptures. He's revealed Himself to us. I mean, think about it. Some people, when they think of God, they think He's maybe some kind of Santa Claus figure that's kind of an old uh, man that's benevolent every once in a while. Some people, uh, the way they were raised or the experiences they've had in life, maybe they think God is that stern judge and He's just waiting for them to make one wrong move and bam, He's going to put the hammer down, okay? I mean, if you really get... Uh, honest, for a moment, everybody's got in their mind and their heart some kind of idea or conception about God. And uh, as I thought about this, it reminded me of, of of this scenario. Have you ever watched someone crochet or or knit or embroider something? I know that my uh, my grandmother used to do that when I was a kid. And uh, when I was real little, I'd be on the floor and uh, I'd be looking up at her in the chair, and it just looked like a a mangled mess to me, a bunch of knots, right? But that's because I was looking at it from a different perspective. She would say, hey, come over here and look, Corey. And she would show me what she was seeing. And see, that's the, that's the problem today with God. A lot of people are viewing God from the bottom up. They're starting with their own self-reference point. And they're not looking at how God reveals Himself in His Word. And this God that was in heaven came to earth and his name is Jesus and he has revealed himself to all of us. And so we've got to view it from the top and not the bottom. Now, I understand this is hard to do. I mean, I I I don't feel like I am able to do that justice. I mean, how does someone tell you about God in such a way when it's hard to describe him or define him. I mean, I can try to wax eloquent, but it's just words, okay? I like what uh, William Jennings Bryan said years ago. He says, I've observed the power of the watermelon seed. It has the power of drawing from the ground and through itself 200,000 times its weight. And when you can tell me how it takes this material and out of it colors an outside surface beyond the imitation of art, and it forms the inside of a white rind, and within that a red heart, thickly inlaid with black seeds, of which each one is capable of drawing through itself 200,000 times its weight. He says, when you can explain to me the mystery of the watermelon, then you can ask me to explain the mystery of God. Well, (laughs) rightly so, right? I mean, it's hard for the uh, finite to do justice to the infinite. Um, I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. Meaning people have an idol in their mind of what they think God's like. If you tried to share the gospel with someone before and they objected on certain grounds and they say, well, my God would never send anyone to hell. Well, maybe their my God wouldn't But the God of the Bible says that there's two kinds of people in this world, those that know Him and those that do not. And those that do not are already condemned by the law, and they will go to a place called hell where they will be separated from God forever. And some people take issue with that. I, I, I get it, but when you go to the Word of God and you see the heart of God, He loves all of us. He sent His Son for all of us, and we all have so many opportunities in life before it's ultimately too late. John, uh, John Stott said this, There's something fundamentally flawed about a purely academic interest in God. God is not an appropriate object for cool, critical, detached, scientific observation and evaluation. He says, No, the true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. And when I read that, I go, now we're getting somewhere. Because when you look at the Bible, whenever people had an encounter with him, many times they worshiped him. Have you thought about that? They worship him. They realize the greatness of God, they realize the, the goodness of God, they, they experience a little bit of the glory of God, and all of a sudden they worship him. Even at the birth of Christ, there were the magi that came from the east. To what? Worship this newborn king. Uh, When when we begin to see the response of people in the Bible, now we're getting somewhere. And that leads me to one last quote from A.W. Tozer who said this. He says, I don't want the world to define God for me. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal God to me. And that's what I want God to do today. I want us, instead of letting the the world define and describe God for us, I want us to go to the Scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Himself to us. So why don't we do that? Father, I come before You right now. I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit, Lord, will reveal the truth of Your Word so that we might know you better, and Lord, in some cases, maybe there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they might come to know you personally. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I want you to look at Psalm 139 today, and I want to kind of give you two or three things to think about before we just dive into the whole psalm. You see, the Bible reveals that God knows everything, okay? God knows everything. There in Psalm 139, first couple of verses, uh, David wrote, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. In other words, God knows everything. Someone said that there was a group of kids lying up for lunch at a uh, church school. And at the head of the table was a bowl of juicy apples. And the the nun wrote a note and placed it next to the apples. And she said, take only one, God is watching. Well, at the other end of the table was a large pile of chocolate-coated biscuits. And a child had a, a piece of paper and he wrote on it, take as many as you want, God is watching the apples. Now, you and I need to be reminded, right? God sees everything. God knows everything. Now, we like to tell ourselves He doesn't. Oh, He's watching the apples. But God knows everything. He knows everything about you. He sees when you sit. He sees when you rise. He even knows what you're going to say before you say it. I like what Adrian Rogers said. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? God never goes, "Ah, I didn't think about that. Wow, I didn't know that. I mean, God, I I say it this way. One thing God can't do, He can't learn because He already knows. I mean, think about that. He knows everything. So the Bible reveals that God knows everything. The the theologians call that omniscience. It means that God is all-knowing. Well, there's a second thing I want you to think about this morning, and that is that God is everywhere. Look, if you will, in Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. Uh, David says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the dwelling of the dead, you are there. So David is saying, where can you run and where can you hide? You can't. God is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go that He's not there. I love the um, couple, young family. They had a couple of young boys, ages 8 and 10, and these boys were a little mischievous. And uh, they were always getting into trouble, and their parents always had to find out what was going on next. Well, uh, one of the parents was at their wits' end about their son's behavior, and the mother had heard a uh, new pastor was in town who was kind of good at getting through to these mischievous kids, so they asked the new pastor, if he'd come and talk to the boys. And he says, well, I will, but I want to talk to them separately. So uh, they said, okay. So the youngest boy, the 8-year-old, went to meet this pastor first. And he looked at the kid, and he says, young man, where's God? Well, the boy didn't say anything. And the pastor looked at him again, a little bit sterner, and said, young man, where's God? Well, he still didn't say anything. And finally, the third time, he had his finger, and he says, young man, where's God? And the kid got so scared, he ran home as fast as he could. He, he, he even hid in the closet. And when his other brother come in there to see what's going on, he says, what's going on, brother? He says, I don't know, but God's missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> All right? Now, here's the thing. God is everywhere, okay? I mean, there's nowhere you can go that you can run, or that you can hide because God is ever-present, okay? He's He's omnipresent, and that's what they call that. He's everywhere. There's a third thing the Bible reveals, and that is God is in control. Look, if you will, in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. For it was you, David wrote, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you. Because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. David is marveling at the fact that God created him. God knew him when he was in the womb. I mean, God knows everything about you. We know from other scriptures that God knows uh, how many hairs are on your head, okay? I mean, He knows everything about us. And that means that God is in control. And so we need to be mindful of these things, that God knows everything, that He's everywhere, and He is in control. And I kind of wanted to bring that to your attention because that is in the background of this psalm as we read it. And so I like what uh, uh, J.I. Packer said. He said, A wise man has said that your Christian life is like a three-legged stool. The legs are doctrine, experience, and practice, or he calls that obedience. And you will not stay upright unless all three are there. In recent years, many Christians have not kept these three together. And I wanted to say that quote there because I think that's really good. The three things you need in the Christian life is doctrine, experience, and obedience. Okay, the doctrine is the teaching of God's word. Experience how it connects with your life. And then obedience, you, you live it out by faith. And uh, I think somewhere along the way, we've separated those. We kind of put things in our head, and then we walk out the door and we forget about them. But I mean, truth is meant to be lived out in everyday life. And I say that at, before we read this psalm, because when you read this psalm, the truths that David talks about are very profound, that God is you know, knows everything, that he's everywhere, that he's in control. These are very profound truths. But he writes them through the eyes of experience, okay? You'll see it as, as we read the psalm. And then you'll see how he applies it to his life uh, through obedience. I used Warren Wiersbe's outline for my points because sometimes you just can't beat the way somebody else says it. And so here's my my point today. I want you to understand these truths about God and ourselves. And the first truth is this. God knows us intimately, so we cannot deceive Him. God knows us intimately, so we cannot deceive Him. Look there in the first six verses. David says, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it or I'm just unable to just grasp it or comprehend it. I mean, when you think about how God knows everything about me and He loves me anyway, I just go, wow, you know, you can fool some people. You might even fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. And he knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. See, God knows us intimately, and that's why we cannot deceive him. That's why when I think of the Gospel of John, was it Nathaniel that they came to and said, hey, come here, you need to meet Jesus, you know, the Messiah? And he's kind of skeptical of it. And Jesus comes up and he says, Ah, here's here's one that's like no one else in, in, in all of Israel who has no guile or deceit. And uh, he says, I saw you when you were under the tree or whatever. And all of a sudden Nathaniel's like, Wow, Lord, like, I mean, he, he just, Jesus connected with Nathaniel right away. He knew that Nathaniel was one of those genuine people. What you see is what you get, no pretense or anything. And Jesus is saying, I saw you when you were under the tree. In other words, I know what you were doing a while ago. When nobody else knew, when nobody else could see, I knew. And that, that, that little tip was enough to reveal to Nathaniel, surely he is the Messiah, this Jesus. He, he really is because he knows everything about me. And therefore, I can't hide anything from Him. I can't deceive Him. You know, that's, that's the thing that I think comforts us as believers. And I think it terrifies people who don't know the Lord. Because when you don't know the Lord and you realize that God knows everything, like He knows what you did last week, last year. He, he, he knows what you've hidden. He knows what, what about you, the things that nobody else does. That can be terrifying. Until you come to the realization that God loves you and He died on that cross for you. Well, that's the first truth we need to understand. God knows us intimately, so we cannot deceive Him. But there's a second truth I want to mention, and that is this. God is with us constantly, so we cannot escape Him. There in verse 7, David says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the dwelling of the dead, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you remember when you were playing with your kids when they were little, little, or maybe your grandkids and you would play you would, uh play peekaboo with them? And then they would do this and go, you can't see me. You remember that, right? Oh, you can't see me. Oh, yes, I can, right? And uh, we like to kid ourselves sometimes with God too, don't we? I mean, we think, okay, it's, it's dark. Nobody sees. But what does David say? David says, even in darkness... Darkness and light are alike to you. God knows everything all the time. He knows everything about us. He is with, with us constantly, so we cannot escape Him. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. I know you've heard the story about Jonah. We've talked about it in the past, but think about Jonah. Jonah the prophet, he, he knew the Lord. He was a believer. He loved God. But there was just a few things in his life that he didn't want to do. And everything was fine between him and God until God said, Hey, Jonah, you know that thing over there? Guess what I want you to do? I want you to go to Nineveh. Oh, no, not not Nineveh. And what what did Jonah do? He literally went in the opposite direction, right? I mean, he went in the opposite direction as fast as he could. And you know the rest of the story. God got Jonah's attention, didn't he? And I think Jonah would be the first one to tell us, that when it comes to our relationship with God, He's constantly with us and there's no escape. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. You can't say, I'm going to go over here and God will leave me alone. Well, He's here, He's there, He's everywhere. You can run, but you can't hide from God. Then there's the third thing or the third truth I want us to learn about God and ourselves, and it's this. God made us wonderfully so we cannot ignore Him. Look, if you will, in verse 13. David says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. What is he saying? He's saying God made us fearfully and wonderfully, so we can't ignore him. I'm I'm amazed more and more each day of how we have a culture that I think is trying to discredit God at every single turn just for the sheer prerogative of being able to ignore him. Oh, we don't believe that God made us this way or that way. We don't believe in this, that, and the other. We don't believe in this. We don't believe in creation. We don't believe this. We don't believe that. And we, we deny God at every single turn so that we can justify ignoring Him. And what I want to remind you is uh, this one simple truth, that God created us, that God made us in His image. He made us wonderful and beautiful. And He says, you can't ignore me. I knew you before you were born. I know how many days that you will live and then you will die. I know everything about you. That ought to make us think twice about how much God loves us, how good He is, how great He is. You know, He could just like uh, obliterate us if He wanted to, but He loves us and He sent His Son to die for us. There's one last truth I want to mention. The four truths we need to learn about God and ourselves. And the fourth one is, God judges righteously so we cannot dispute him. Look in verse 19 to the end. In verse 19, this psalm kind of changes pace and tone a little bit. It's almost like the realization of God being all knowing and ever present and in control has kindly seeped into the consciousness of David. And now he's suddenly aware that all of us are going to have to face that reality. And he says in verse 19, God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Now, this is more than just hypocrisy. David is realizing that there are people in the world that do a lot of things in the name of God, and God has nothing to do with And he's seeing all this being done, and it repulses him. He finds it repulsive, and he says, God, are you going to do something about the wicked? I mean, when I, look in, when I look around the world today, when I read the room, I mean, we might all be human, but we're in different points in relationship with you. Lord, if life's going to be fair, what are you going to do with the wicked? Are they going to be treated different than those who know you? And before he gets caught up in that, he kind of checks himself and he says in verse 23, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I love that. Like David acknowledges a hard truth out there that, you know, remember remember how I read in Matthew 5, God is perfect, but He lets the sun shine on the just and the unjust. He lets the, the rain fall on the righteous and the wicked. There's two groups of people. And David acknowledges that in the psalm. Yeah, God's everywhere. He's all-knowing and He's awesome. But look at these people, Lord. What are you going to do with them? And he knows that God's going to judge the wicked. And before he, you know, kind of plays judge and jury and points the finger at them he looks in the mirror and says oh lord search me lord show me is there anything in me that you find repulsive and let me know cuz i want to repent of it i want to i want to i want to walk away from it i want to get rid of it in my life cuz lord at the end of the day i can't speak for that person or that person i can only speak for me and lord i want to know that you and i are on good terms He brings it home. I like what um, someone said. We cannot repent of sins we can't see. And we cannot see what we refuse to face. But we place ourselves deliberately out in the light of God's word. Standing there without flinching. And we ask the Lord to show us ourselves in our need. And show us himself in his sufficiency. And tell us what he wants us to do next. And in that place of honest reprisal before the savior he will certainly visit us and that is so true i beg of you today think about these last two verses in psalm 139 they're really a prayer they're a pray they're a prayer that you and i should pray periodically just like you go to the doctor and get a checkup this is a spiritual checkup ever so often i think we need to seek the lord in prayer and say lord it's been a while but I want to ask you to search me. Lord, is there something in, in me right now that has, uh, that, is, that has been planted or is rearing its ugly head that could be an issue between you and me? Lord, show it to me now. Show it to me so I can get rid of it. I don't want any offensive way in me and lead me in your ways, in your everlasting ways. As Adrian Rogers says, God is searching our hearts in order to supply our deepest need. See he knows everything about you. And he knows what you need and what I need. And so when you ask God to search your heart. Not only will he reveal what's wrong. But he will reveal what he can do to make it right. So don't be discouraged when he searches you. Don't be discouraged. Consider it an invitation to to discover something that could come between you and God that you're not going to let happen and He doesn't want it to happen and you acknowledge it and you deal with it and you move on and now you're even closer to the Lord than you were before. It's a really good thing. So today, as we wrap this up, think about these four truths that we learn about God and ourselves in Psalm 139. God knows us intimately. Intimately. So we can't deceive Him. God is with us constantly. So we can't escape Him. God made us wonderfully. So we can't ignore Him. And God judges righteously. So we cannot dispute Him. Maybe today you need to pray this prayer. In Psalm 139 verse 23 and 4. And maybe you need to say Lord search me. Know my heart. Test me, know my concerns, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. And I want to tell you right now, if you will sincerely pray that prayer to the Lord, if there's anything between you and Him that's there, He'll reveal it to you. But He'll also reveal to you, here's what I can do with that if you'll give it to me. Here's what I'll do in your life if you turn away from that and just trust in me. That'll be gone and you and I can be together and nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever change that or tear that apart. Maybe God is speaking to you today as we stand, as the musicians come, as the ushers come. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this time in your word. Lord, thank you for this beautiful psalm, Lord that teaches us some powerful truths about you and about us. And Lord, you are the one that created us. You're the one that made us. And Lord, you are the one that sent your son to die on that cross to save us and to make it all possible. Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts today. Lord, I pray that you would search each and every heart in this room. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be that day that they would draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I'm going to settle this issue right now. Lord, I want you to be my hope for this life and the one to come. Lord, I want you to be that anchor that holds. And Father, I pray for every believer right now, if they've already made that commitment, if they've already took that step, Lord, I pray that we'd... We would periodically seek you in such a way that we would say, Lord, search me today. Lord, is there something in my life I've allowed to come between you and I? Lord, I want to make sure I deal with it right now because, Lord, I love you with my whole heart and I don't want anything to change that. Lord, I pray, search our hearts today and have your will and way in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As the ushers come, you have those uh, next step cards. If you want to turn them in, or if you feel led to give an offering, you can do that too. Whatever the Lord leads you to do. But right now, once you think about that prayer, Lord, search me and know me. You might be thinking, I've got things in my life I don't want anybody to know about. I get that, but can I tell you something? God already knows. He already knows. You can't run. You can't hide. You can't even deny what He already knows. And yet He loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. And now He's offering that peace, and that that forgiveness, and He's offering a new life, abundant life, eternal life, if you'll just come to Him right now as you are. And that's my prayer for all of us today as we sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.